Welcome to ACNL in Action, brought to you by the Association of California Nurse Leaders. I'm your host, Charlene Platon. Resiliency is the ability to cope, remain focused, and maintain an optimistic outlook despite adverse conditions and stressful situations. Everyone knows it's an important characteristic for nurses in today's healthcare environment. But how can nurses develop and enhance their resiliency skills? And what are the benefits of being resilient for nurses, patients, and organizations? To answer these questions, I'm joined by Dr. Tiffany Ines. Tiffany recently completed her Doctor of Nursing Practice in Executive Healthcare Leadership and is now a 2023 Human Resources Leadership Fellow at Stanford Children's Health, where she also serves as co-chair of the Chief Nursing Officer Advisory Council. Tiffany has extensive leadership and project management experience, previously completing a Performance Improvement Fellowship also at Stanford, as well as serving as the Director of Nursing Informatics for the United States Department of Defense. Tiffany has consistently led her teams through high stress, constant change, and mission-critical situations. She's passionate about teams becoming enthusiastic about change and finding their unique power of resilience during turbulent times. She has received numerous awards for her dedication to healthcare excellence and leadership, including the Emerging Leadership Award, Team Leader of the Year Award, and the Daisy Team Award, among others. She is also a contributing author to the Essentials of Nursing Informatics 6th edition, and she sits on the Harvard Business Review Advisory Council. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Charlene, and thank you for ACNL for having me today. Yes, we're so excited to have you and we'll dive right in. And I just want to first say congratulations on completing your DNP. That's huge. And as a summa cum laude, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm really curious, could you tell us a little bit about your research or your project-based focus while you were in the program? Yeah, uh, great question. So being a pediatric nurse and neonatal nurse for wow, close to 10 years and haven't provided like many immunizations to my patients. I've seen it like firsthand and pain is such a personal experience and pain in children is probably the most misunderstood and undiagnosed problems. I just remember like my pediatric patients, I, Charlene, were just so full of tears when they come in for their flu shots, school shots, and just other vaccinations. And actually, like nationally, over 60% of the children and 20% of adults have fear of needles. So that's mm. one of my, actually, one of my patients, she was a six-year-old patient who came in for her monthly blood transfusions, cried endlessly from beginning to end, and it would at least take two needle sticks every time to give her her transfusion. Her favorite color was purple. And that's also what spearheaded my project to want to look at distraction techniques. So for my research project, I looked at pediatric patients ages three to seven at an outpatient pediatric clinic. What is the impact of implementing distraction techniques during immunization administration compared to current practice on pain scores in eight to 10 weeks? And I really think if we had something for her that was probably purple, like I feel like she would have a way more positive clinic experience. So that's what launched that for me. Yeah, that is fascinating. That is such interesting research. And I feel that something like that could really impact patient practice, especially for our pediatric population. And 
I'm I'm really curious too, just wondering about how you got to this point with your DNP. And you know, would you be able to tell us about your career trajectory up until this point? You know, prior to taking the DNP. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow. So my road has been really rough and a lot of unexpected turns. And my journey in healthcare started with really humble beginnings, honestly. And you know, I want my purpose. I wanted my purpose to be able to inspire, mentor, support others to be confident and to really aspire that greatness um, and whatever their life passion and purpose is in the world. And, you know, as a leader for my teams today, I wanted it. I want this story that I'm going to say to be in a safe space, uh, but also a brave space and be authentic. So, yeah, let's talk about my journey going from doubted to doctor. Let's do it. So I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I am an East Coast born and raised. Uh, my parents are not from the United States. And getting out from where I grew up really took drugs, education, or sports. Like you had to choose. And I didn't, didn't choose to do the other ones. Education was just my calling. I got called a lot of names because I made good grades. I was tall the color of my skin. I wore really thick glasses that made my eyes look small. Lived in a house with a lot of people. My shoes were either too big, too small. Um, you know, sometimes eating dinner was a privilege and sharing your food was a regular thing. And that makes me think of the population that we serve that may not have the financial means to take care um, of themselves or others. I graduated high school at 16. I got a full ride to dental school in Florida. I left dental school because I just it just was not for me. Uh, after Florida, I moved to Washington, D.C., where I applied for a community college to get my associate's degree. I was in a situation with someone that resulted from me being homeless the last 18 months of nursing school. And this was probably the most embarrassing and gut-punching experience, yet humbling, that I would ever go through in life. Like, are you kidding me? Homeless, living in a car. I had a 92 Toyota to sell. I don't even know if they make that car anymore, but that's pretty much what I was living in. And I knew that I couldn't mentally stay in that space and not having a actual home roof over my head did not define me either. You know, were the nights cold and long? Yes. Like I know it was cold, but I knew if I stay warm, summer is will come. And that's overcoming seasons of crisis. Did I feel alone and scared? Yes. Did I cry? Of course, like almost every day. Um, the only way I figured if I was going to lose this, Charlene, is if I quit. And that's not going to happen. I lived on a federal Pell Grant and it gave me about $469.16. I remember that every semester. And that was deposited into my nation's bank account. This is before it was Bank of America. Um, I took showers at school. It was 6.15 in the morning when the janitor opened the physical education building. Can you even imagine taking a shower in a sink uh, in a public restroom? And I knew that, you know, I had time before the main door was going to open at 7.45. The Dollar Tree was my friend. The library had what we call like an American continental breakfast. Uh, the gas stations gave me hot water when I needed it. Those continental breakfasts was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so I had to make those last for sure. I definitely remember oversleeping some days and forgetting to put my deodorant on when we were at clinical. I know I didn't smell the best. You know, and somebody, I overheard somebody said, is that Tiffany? Do you smell that? 
Oh, it was so gut punching. And it just was so, I, I wanted to cry. Actually, I did cry. I'm not even gonna say I wanted to cry, but I wanted to make sure that I never, ever, ever put myself in that situation again. I applied for a job. They didn't give it to me because I didnn't have a physical address. So I went ahead and lied. But then I used somebody else's address and I sat outside um, that person's house and got my mail. Um, sorry for that. I'll go ahead and apologize now. Um, I knew that uh, when I applied for this job, it was a unit clerk position. And my specific supervisor at the time, she laughed at me in my face because I was trying to fill out the tuition assistance form and she wouldn't sign it from me. But I knew that I was one yes away from my goal. She made it very hard for me. And so I just went ahead and tried to find someone else. You know, I said, I will not stop. I'm not going to be defeated. And my situations is not going to break me. And she did not have enough power, enough energy, or enough strength to stop me from becoming a nurse. And I've always been tenacious with my goals professionally and personally. And I always hear like that setback was a setup for a comeback. So somebody let the tiger out the cage, Charlene, and I'm ready to take mm -hmm. it on. And my focus has always been to be resilient, have compassion and empathy. And every floor that I elevate to, I want to send the elevator back down to others. When it comes to resiliency, it's hard, you know, you know, but sometimes it just takes one person to believe in you. And sometimes that person may not look like you have the same role, not your same religion, culture or creed. But even if you don't have that person, Charlene, like you have to believe in you and you have to shape what that looks like. But little does she know that to this day that I have had the opportunity to be a mentor, to motivate others, to be a contributing author in a textbook, take classes at Cornell to where my professor at Cornell found a scholarship for me to go to and attend this global health program at Harvard. I did it for me. So I used the $10,000 a year uh, to go to school to get my BSN. I pursued my MSN. And then I said, I'm going to keep going because education is something that someone, no one can take away from you once achieved. And then while working for the DOD, after I got that job and I just saw all these people with these DNPs and PhDs, I was like, oh, I want to be there. So I kept putting it off, but I was interested in, in research and improvement. And I moved on to the second facility. I got told in a meeting that I did not have the credentials to attend the meeting. So you know what? Mm. That was a catalyst for me. I'm going back to school because no one is going to tell me that I cannot, that I can't have a seat at the table mm -hmm. because I don't have a DMP. So, you know what? I'm going to make my own table. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so I'm not going to ever not have the credentials ever again. So that's what uh, jumpstarted me to get my DMP. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for sharing your story. And I really applaud you for, well, first for being vulnerable, for sharing that with us. I know it's not easy to share our stories, especially sometimes our, our culture and medicine doesn't make it very easy to share our stories. And, and I do want to say that I am so inspired by you. And I think what you said, a lot of some, uh, a lot of messages that I personally resonate with as well. Uh, there were so many things I, I do want to say that what you mentioned in terms of sometimes it only takes one person to give you a chance. And sometimes that one person is really you. It really is yourself giving you the best chance there is. Of course, uh, when you take those chances that you have, there are more opportunities to, to, to go further and to, 
to get to your goals and what you want to achieve. So I think that you really exemplify resilience and success. And I thank you so much for sharing that. And it's so important because a lot of what you mentioned too, with your background and with what you've experienced speaks volumes to the importance of social determinants, uh, social determinants of health. And we think about that a lot from the patient's perspective, but not enough within our own perspectives from our colleagues and thinking about other nurses or other colleagues that we work with on a day-to-day basis who might also be experiencing a lot of that, those challenges, right? Financially, housing, transportation-wise. And so I, I really appreciate the perspective because it really opens my eyes and I think will open others, others in terms of others' eyes to the stories that others are experiencing. So, uh, so I just wanted to, to, um, just say thank you first and foremost, and, and, uh, really, really proud and impressed of all that you've accomplished. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like just, if I can just tack on to what you said, Charlene, like, I feel like as leaders, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be human. You know, sometimes our teams think that we're just superhuman and we don't have stories, but that's what makes us better leaders is when we share those type of stories, just to connect and be human. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And sometimes we don't hear that. I would really like to hear more of those stories personally from leaders that I know from leaders and organizations. I sometimes feel that there's this kind of like face that you have to have when you're in leadership, like you kind of feel like you have to have this armor, but in reality, you could connect so much more when you're more vulnerable and you share your story and others can relate. And it really lends to that authentic leadership piece. And it really helps with that connection and that relationship building. Absolutely. Because I think that people, we just have, like you said, the face and some people don't want to look like what they went through. But right. you got to like peel the onion back and let's get real raw and like straight no chaser. Let's have these conversations. And, you know, we're people too. So I think it's good for us to share that with our team. Right. Exactly. It's it really is that that dialogue and it really should happen both ways. You know, just as much as leaders need to hear the stories of their team, their teams can also listen to the stories of their leaders and and then connect on on a different level, yeah. you know, not just on on patient care, but also just in connecting as human beings, as nurses, as people that are living in this experience together. So I think those are all really, really great insights. And, and I do want to touch upon resiliency too, because, you know, people may think of resiliency as the ability to cope with difficult situations. And so thinking about that, what are some of the reasons that resiliency is such a critical skill for nurses in particular? Well, I feel like nurses' resilience is really crucial because nurses have things coming at them from all areas, every direction sometimes. Your 12-hour shift can be so unpredictable. I'm thinking about, of course, the pandemic. People constantly sick, dying, or pregnant, our nursing shortages, and just what's going on in the world today. And I think that a lot of stress is put on nurses to be the strong person. Regardless if you're a leader or not, you know, if you nurses are you typically, you know, self-starters and they function really well on their own. But if they're the ones carrying everything, who cares for them? So if you're the strong one, who checks on the strong one? And I don't think they can people can just do it by themselves. So I really feel like we as an organization, 
um, have to help them in a lot of ways, creating that personal and that environmental resistance, resilience. Exactly. So, yes. Right. Yes, I agree. And, and just to your point about, you know, if nurses are out taking care of everyone else, if they're taking care of so many of their patients and, you know, others before themselves, who is going to take care of them? Yeah. It's a really important question because realistically we can't, you know, we can't not take care of ourselves and we can't, yeah. we can't not prioritize our own well-being. Right. Um, and I think that when we fail to do that, we might see things like compassion fatigue and burnout, things like secondary trauma. And I'm wondering, have you seen any examples of any of those, you know, compassion fatigue, burnout, secondary trauma? Have you seen any of that um, in your own practice or what are some examples you might think of or how that can look like? Yeah, I feel like I've seen one, two, and three. It can be all three of them sometimes. I've seen it with people with having decreased productivity, you know, feeling like, you know, they're inadequate for the job. Sometimes just hopelessness, like people just being exhausted and irritating, people just feeling also discouraged. I'm also looking at their their attendance rate. And sometimes when someone is has that increased absence rate, it really gives me some pause and really want to check in with them and see what's going on. And then also people just having that diminished joy about coming to work anymore. So as a leader, that's going to like ding, ding, ding for me to talk to them and say, Hey, like what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Those are, those are really, really significant signs. And sometimes it might be hard to notice that, right. Yeah. Especially if you have a lot of, maybe a lot of um, nurses on your team. Yeah. And, but maybe we also don't know that that could mean something is going on. Right. Um, and in general too, um, you know, resiliency and self-care have been such popular topics, um, because of COVID and, and just with so much going on. And do you think in some ways this pressure to be resilient right now in the face of these increasing workloads is just another obligation, or is this a skill, you know, is resilience a skill that everyone should learn regardless of their situation? I think it is a skill tool and resource that everyone should learn. And if they don't, let's give people the tools and resources to help them get there. Because where I'm thinking about resiliency is that proactive approach before things get bad. And, you know, I am a clinical reflection lead to where I speak to a lot of new grads and where my brain goes. It's like, wouldn't it be amazing to teach resiliency in new grad nurses before they enter the workforce? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Bring it. That should be a whole class. And, you know, new grad nurses and uh, new nurses on the unit, they go through a lot emotionally, mentally, and physically. And we do, uh, we do owe as leaders and organizations to our nurses, supportive resources and tools for resiliency. So, yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, um, I've also been impressed by your background in terms of nursing informatics. And, and I do wonder what does the data say about the benefits of resilience for nurses and patients. Is there anything we should know about in terms of that data? Yes, I just actually read an article by the Joint Commission and they were talking about the National Nursing Engagement Report that was released in April, 2019. And they said about 2000 plus healthcare partners um, that responded to their survey, 15.6% of those nurses reported feelings of burnout you know, with emergency nurses being at the higher end and higher risk. And that survey also revealed that burnout is the leading patient safety and quality concern in their organization. 
So um, it's this is numbers are pretty alarming. And approximately 40% of the respondents said their organization was slightly effective at dealing with mm -hmm. burnout. And then over 50% said that their facility was slightly ineffective or highly ineffective at helping staff address burnout. So we got some work to do. Yes, there's definitely room for improvement here. And and it's great to to actually have data. I feel like before the pandemic, our data on this was very sparse, actually. And I it's kind of nice to see more of that emerging data on resilience and and uh, how this can impact nurses and patients. And in terms of impacting patient care, how does resilience influence patient care delivery and outcomes on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I feel like resiliency can be like that pillar or that nucleus for EI. You know, when we talk about emotional flexibility, adaptability, open communication, um, we talk about resiliency in nursing and the ability to bounce back and it can improve patient outcomes and overall job satisfaction, but it is a process. This isn't something that gets rushed. You know, it does take some, some self-assessment, self-reflection, development, and self-care. So all of that plays in how we care for the patients. Because if you're already showing up to work physically, but mentally somewhere else, that means the patients are going to suffer. That means your work is going to suffer. That also means you can be coming in to work at 50%, functioning at 60%. It's almost looking at a, a, a clogged heart that's not functioning at its 100% functionality. So imagine working at 60%. So who's losing in the end? I really feel like we always have to get that and understand what that means. Yeah, I really like that comparison too with with the comparing it to heart, right? Because if we if our heart wasn't functioning fully, that wouldn't benefit us, right? right? And and it wouldn't benefit probably the people that we're interacting with because we wouldn't be at our one hundred percent. And and the same comes to resilience. If you're not at a hundred percent and you're showing up to work, or just like you said, if mentally you're, you're elsewhere, but you're physically here, mm -hmm. it, it could really impact patient care delivery just in terms of, you know, it might be medication errors or it might be, uh, it might be a different type of patient outcome that's impacted, um, because we might not be fully concentrating or focusing on the tasks at hand, or we might be distracted. Um, and so, so I could really see how resilience can can play an important role there um, in more ways than one. Just, you know, um, more than just thinking about ourselves, but how it impacts our patients. Absolutely. And I think as leaders, we got to know our team. You know, if somebody's high functioning, high performing, and then all of a sudden you start seeing these incremental issues, like we have to, that's a flag on the play. We got to like, look at that and like figure out what's going on, but you have to know your team before you can even mention anything like that. Exactly. It's such a big part of leadership. We really have to know our team. We, we really need to check in with them. And some people, especially nurses, they're so good at, at acting or they're so good at, um, not wanting to, or they really don't want to, you know, quote unquote, burden others. And so mm -hmm. they really don't want to make others feel uncomfortable. So they hide it. They're really good at hiding these signs sometimes. Yeah. But just like you said, there's these pieces that can show up like being late or being absent that you mm -hmm. just can't, you know, ignore. Um, 
And, you know, how do you balance self-care and professional obligations in stressful and demanding work environments, just like how we're seeing um, in the workplace today? Well, I think for 2023, healthy boundaries are huge for me. I really take my break and my lunch break to disconnect. I stop working through lunch. You know, on our units, we really promote people to take their breaks, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever that it may be, just to be able to mentally disconnect from the work. I now use my PTO. Before I was just banking it up and building it up. But now, you know what? I think I'm just going to take Thursday off just because (laughs) I need it. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, plus before I didn't think that it was okay. Just work, 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 especially working on Saturdays. I had to stop that too. You know, now I've decided to take pickleball classes. That's something new I learned. Um, And I had to start to learn to pace myself and sometimes say no, not right now to assignments instead of thinking I needed to take everything on because I do suffer from imposter syndrome. And I felt like if I don't take these projects on, are they going to think that I'm inadequate for my job? And it's okay to say, you know what? I don't have room on my plate right now, but I can't get that. I can't get to that at another time. And I've also tried to reduce uh, the time that I talk about work at home. Yes, that's that's so important. And and, you know, just going back to what you said, too, about establishing boundaries in 2023 and in the future, it's so important to recognize where you need to draw a line when it comes to your work and and also your personal life and how that, how you could support you, because, you know, if you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to yourself in some way, shape or form. And you have to really think about what is it that you're actually saying no to? Cause you're Mm -hmm. saying yes, but what are you saying no to on the flip side? Absolutely. And as a leader, like we can't just talk this, we got to walk it and hold our team to the same standard. So if I'm saying healthy boundaries for me, that doesn't mean that I can ping my team member to, to have a meeting through lunch. Yes. Or I can't just make that for me and not have that for them. So I feel like as a leader, we set the tone. We set the tone for what the environment and the outlook and the culture is going to look like because we want people to flourish and we want people to thrive. Yes. And that's so important. I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, when you're in leadership, people do pay attention to your actions and what you do. They pay attention not only to what you say, but what you do. And and so if you are saying, let's be, let's prioritize self-care and resilience, but then you're emailing people at 11 p.m. and you're working on your PTO, then of course that sends a different message to the team and they will take note of that. So it's really important to role model, as you mentioned. And what tips would you give to someone right now who genuinely believes in the mission of nursing, you know, wants to keep going, but is thinking of leaving the profession anyway, due to all of the stresses that they're experiencing? You know, I've had that happen. And I say, let's talk about it first. But you can't have that conversation unless someone trusts you. If they don't trust you, they're not going to tell you. And sometimes it could just be the smallest issue. And sometimes it can be a really big issue. Now, the leader, I find it to be my responsibility to have those courageous conversations. I ask them first, like, you know, what led to you to come to this conclusion? What happened? Like, what's going on? And some of those reasons, Charlene, they vary. And as a leader, I have to be authentic and non-judgmental. I'm not just going to be like, I'm just not going to say, 
you know what, you should just stay in nursing, you know, but if they come to me and say, you know, I love nursing, but I really want to do this part in nursing or, Hey, I don't, I want to leave the ICU and I want to go to research, go, go fly, you know, go be great. But I need to ask open questions and instead of close, ask why they're leaving. What can we do to make things better? Because nursing has a lot of ups and downs and it's not for the faint at heart. And you got a lot of people that have been enduring a lot. So when we approach these questions, it's not a one size fits all, Charlene, but it's a really getting at the heart of the matter. Like what's really going on? And I have to listen to understand and not listen to respond. Yes, that's great insight. And I think sometimes it's hard to to know the difference, right? Listening to understand versus mm-hmm. listening to respond. And what you mentioned earlier was is so important. And that really is asking questions, right? And if someone mm-hmm. really is coming to you and they are experiencing stress and, and burnout, um, asking those questions is actually a really powerful tool. And, and I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, I've had my fair share of nurses that I had to talk. I had to talk through a lot of those situations and bring them back in. But again, it starts with trust because if they don't trust you, it's like nurses have, I don't know, it's like nurses have an x-ray vision for people that are genuine, (laughs) authentic, and truthful. Because if they feel any ounce of unauthenticity or, and they don't trust you, you're not going to get anywhere in that conversation, but you build that Mm -hmm. as a leader in the beginning and keep it going. Like you don't stop not trusting them, having autonomy with them, having that relationship where you can just talk to them, like remove my credentials, remove my title. I want us to have a heart to heart conversation. And that is usually when I can get my staff to talk to me and like, let me know what's really going on. Yes. I I think that's so important. Establishing that trust, really having that, building that relationship between you and your team and knowing who they are as individuals, not just as, you know, someone who's a staff on your team, um, seeing them as a human for who they are and and vice versa, right? For the staff viewing their leaders. And so those are all um, really great insights. And um, and it's hard to believe that we're almost at the end of our time here, but I just wanted to give, as we wrap up, are there any final comments that you wanted to share with our listeners today, just about resilience, stress, anything related to our topic today? Yeah. Listen, nursing is hard. Like the real nursing is not what happens in school. It's not what you read. It's going to have its ups and downs. It's going to have dark places and it's okay to find that flashlight to get you through those dark times and those hard times and find someone that definitely believes in you. That's willing to put you under their wing, mentor, coach you, guide you through those um, hard times because you're going to need those. And I would be remiss to say that if you don't and your resilience tools may look so different than someone else, but pass it on and pay it forward And really, instead of looking at the lemons, try to look at the lemonade sometimes. So I think also in closing, like we as an organization have work to do to, you know, put our money where our mouth is, give people the help that they need and not just putting it on a website, but having these constant conversations of where they can find this help, these resources and tools. And even I charge our leaders to have resiliency conversations in our team meetings and huddles. 
where it's a normal thing, a, a regular cadence that we're talking about these and allow nurses the opportunity to reflect and, and really create that brave and safe space for folks to just to unload and we can figure out together how we can get through. So you're not alone. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Those are great insights and we really appreciate you being here today with us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank you. It was such a great conversation and we hope to have you back again in the future. I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> And our guest today was Dr. Tiffany Ines, 2023 Human Resources Leadership Fellow at Stanford Children's Health. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at socialmedia at acnl.org and connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook at ACNL Nurse. And as always, if you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and share the show. ACNL in Action is presented by the Association of California Nurse Leaders, with new episodes on the first Friday of every month. To learn more about the show or ACNL in general, visit us at acnl.org. Thank you for listening.